The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to This Must Be The Place. I'm Elizabeth Taylor from RMIT University and I'm here with David Nichols. Hello. Of the University of Melbourne. And our objective today is to do a bit of a roundup of a conference that we each attended and uh, played a role in organising last week, which was the Urban History Planning History Conference. It was the 14th of these conferences held at RMIT. You have been to all of them, David? No, Elizabeth, I haven't been to all of them. I've been to, I think, 11, maybe 12. That's a fair number, though. I would say so. It's, it's really been a, it's been a key uh, aspect of my sort of, I guess, my career, my intellectual development and, and so on, uh, my academic development. I went to the second one, which was held by... Um, it, was, it was convened in Canberra in, I think, 1994... With um, like Rob Freestone was, if I if I remember correctly, was you know, Professor Rob Freestone of uh, the University of New South Wales was the the instigator of the first and second, and uh, the the second one was in Canberra, and that's where I met like quite a few of the people that were at the conference you know the other week um, were there, and it's the first time I met them. And then um, actually the um, the ninety six one, which was held at RMIT as last week's was. Mm-hmm. Um, although oddly enough, it was con- it was put together by people at Monash, but it was held at RMIT. I've no never... one to go to Clayton, I think. Was that the oh, idea? Yeah, I suppose so. But that still seems kind of weird. Anyway, mm. um, it was held at RMIT. Uh, that was the first time I ever presented at a conference. So wow. it's it's been um, you know it's been a you know, 20, 24 years or something that I've been. Pretty involved. sure this was the only second. The second I went to the one in the Gold Coast. Uh, yeah. Two years ago, so this is biennial. That's yeah. a word I've often struggled with. Does it mean Me twice a year? I don't this understand. is every two years. This conference. The last one was held on the Gold Coast, with the theme of icons, and this one in Melbourne has. I'm pretty sure I didn't. I was almost going to go to the one in Wellington and decided yeah, you, against you, it. Yeah, you opted out. Yeah, I can't remember you know. the reason. Rationale. Every time you make a decision, yeah, without talking to me about it first, it's always wrong. I usually go. Yeah, in You're hindsight, mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, well, we have some examples of that at least. So. <laughs> This, uh, at the, the finale of the uh, ICONS conference on the Gold Coast, it was decided that RMIT would host the next one, and the subsequent two years, um, the committee, including Ian McShane and myself, and Libby Porter, others, and with a lot of help, actually. Ian from Woodcock. Ian Woodcock, yeah. Um, uh, Marco Amadi, although he wasn't actually here because Where? he went on sabbatical. Oh, okay. He's overseas. But he actually was instrumental in picking the theme. So we had a debate on picking a theme. So the theme we ended up with was remaking cities, which covered things like manufacturing and change in, in the economy, but also kind of environmental history. And it was quite broad. Great theme because it's you've got to find, a, in, as you know, you've got to find a theme that is both broad and specific. <laughs> and people, it, it's really, really good to have that kind of a theme because it, it people recalibrate their ideas uh, to fit that kind of thing. And, it's, and it worked really well, I think. That's good. And I thought um, we had some of our plenary speakers, um, you know, were chosen to fit mm. to that theme. Some of the plenary speakers um, we just wanted anyway. So we had, what's her name, Kate, Kate Tawney from mm. the State Library and mm. also Kathy Oates. Kathy Oates from Trove. 
because um, we just wanted to talk about digital uh, resources generally. But we got Chris Gibson in from Wollongong. Because Chris is amazing. He was really what, good. Can you, you know, highlights of his Well, talk? one of the things that I really like about Chris is that he's, if I can talk broadly about him, and he, he did a chapter in a book that I co-edited last year about um, rural communities. Uh, I mean, he's he's really interested in people, and he's a geographer, mm-hmm. he's really interested in the way that, that people make things locally, I guess, mm-hmm. would that be fair? Yeah. So he is actually, he was talking quite a bit about um, manufacturing um, and in his plenary address, but he's all, he also talks about things like the, the book chapter that, um, that he did was about... Um, community choirs right and so there's there's that kind of you know there's there's some there's some crossover between those things just just in the way that these are things that sort of happen under the radar and i think that's one of the things that he likes mm-hmm. is that you know he one of his take home messages is that manufacturing is not actually in decline the way that we're always told in australia yeah. that manufacturing is um, it's changing though massively yeah. and it's a, it's a very different beast to what we're used to so hence you know the the decline of particular areas of the country so that are Wollongong, for example, and, Wollongong yeah. exactly, mm-hmm. which is where he's from, uh, or where he he's um, he's at the University of Wollongong, um, and you know places like Elizabeth and other places that are that are kind of in decline because they're associated or Geelong associated with you know large scale organised manufacturing. But he's talking about a different kind, mm-hmm. um, s- somewhat bespoke, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily like surfboards always. Surfboards and things surfboards like that. Surfboards are one of his things. Recycled materials, you mm-hmm. know, things made from remaking of things. And yeah, he kept pointing out, you know, that it's a different different people benefit from this. So I asked a question, and one of his responses was, you know, this new type of manufacturing, or is it new? The type of manufacturing that is thriving now, the locally made mm. things, it takes a certain kind of cultural capital to do it, but it is still, you have to have chutzpa to sort of start up a, yeah. a homemade dog collar yeah. factory or yeah. cowboy boots or some of the yeah. other examples we had. Guitars was one of the things that yeah. he was talking about a lot. Mm. Guitars that are often made out of um, sort of items of sentimental value. What were the examples though? I can't remember. Um, tables and, you, oh, know, yeah. um, you know, grandma's old Bones. <laughs> no, <laughs> no that's not grandma's true. old table and and the lid of her coffin. But you know that's what she would have wanted. So that was some. I on, as a, as a qualitative assessment, I was really pleased with how with the plenary speakers we had and the job they did. I think all of the sessions I went to, I learned something and yeah. it fitted the theme really well. But then of course we had the concurrent sessions, two or three at any given mm-hmm. time. What were some of the ones you attended, David? I seemed. I felt like I was constantly either presenting or chairing, mm-hmm. or um, you know, I I can't even uh, I can't recall too many instances where I was just listening. Just listening, and you know, chairing is an is an odd. It's an odd experience because mm-hmm. you do have to kind of you have you have to have that kind of, that special kind of MC attitude to like picking up on key elements and so on particularly elements across papers that might otherwise mm-hmm. be quite um, diverse but you you know you're looking for those uh, unifying elements that kind of stuff is um, I wouldn't say it's difficult but it's it, it, it's a certain way of experiencing uh, I a, shared a, one of the ones session. you were speaking in which was easy an easier job as they go because the paper this was the Ruth and Maury Crow. Well, that was simple, wasn't it? It was very yeah. simple because all of them are about Ruth, Ruth and Maury Crow. Crow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, the Ruth and Maury Crow one I thought was I mean I was 
really happy to put that together, which I essentially did. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the other two speakers, one of them is a PhD student of mine, and the other one is uh, no longer a PhD student of mine, but you know, um, certainly someone that I've worked with uh, closely, and I thought that, that that went really well. And people were re very engaged. It's partly just the story of people are engaged when it's like, when there are, you know, actual faces. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I icons in a way, you know, um, they're um, celebrities, if you will, that um, people could talk about. And there were some people there who had, who'd known Ruth and Murray, and everybody seemed to have known of them. And if not, it's, it's still a really interesting story. quarrying or something yeah but it, there are two papers one of which was Victoria's another one um, what's her name Victoria Laura who's my, my PhD student and also someone I've worked with a lot yeah and in fact you have too because yes. we, we did a paper at the last yeah. PhD the three of us Solomon Heights Solomon oh, no. Heights one yeah no that was SOAC that paper that's a detail anyway yeah because we're actually sitting here at Fleming Park doing this interview which was once a clay pit and so the the two papers were different types of holes in the ground in Melbourne and how they, I guess, changed over time and shaped the urban landscape. It was one I really enjoyed because, first of all, they were both really interesting stories and, and secondly, kind of different perspectives. So uh, Laura, I think it was, Hooper from Monash, she did the clay pits one and that covered things like uh, she had three suburbs, Brunswick, uh, Preston and uh, Woolert out on the That's urban right. fringe. Yes. So different stages of urban uh, development in Melbourne and clay pits were important in all of them but the regulations etc have changed over the years so when this Fleming Park was a clay pit it was just a big hole and there was no plan and then they filled it in and now it's a park but out in Woolert is a huge hole that um, they plan to you know have already plans in place for in the decades to come when they fill that hole in it's going to be a housing estate so they plan these things ahead and Victoria talked about bluestone quarries it's a different geography but still part of the same process so it's not many conferences you could have papers on quarries and mm. and happen to fit the theme very well fit the theme really yeah. well yeah i wish i'd been able to go to that you session i had something presenting else or sharing or something that's right yes yeah. that was a, one, a disappointment even though um a lot of thought went into timetabling to try and get people together and not uh, miss out on things they might be interested in i missed out on yours sarah's and someone else's music Oh, one. that's right. Yeah. How did that one go? That, that went really well, I thought. Um, the, 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 you know, so I did a paper which was uh, really, you know, sometimes you look back on these things and you think, why did I even think of doing that? But I did a paper about uh, one particular song by a group from the mid-80s called Boom Crash Opera, that, a song called City Flat, which is, you know, multifaceted in the, in the way that it presents... Melbourne at that particular time and I wanted to put it back in its context, its 1984-85 context of um, celebrating the inner city and describing the inner city and describing it as a, as a creative place and also uh, looking at the video that was made at the same time which was actually, even though the song, this uh, technical detail, but the song was written in like Fitzroy and is about Fitzroy, the video was made in Port Melbourne, uh, so there's, but you know, it's, it still has that same kind of over, overarching feel 
to it and, and the song was recorded in London and the uh, I talked to the, the keyboard player in the band who designed the sleeve and the sleeve is based on a photograph that he took of uh, London um, terrace houses so there's you know there's a, a range of um, influences there but they all come back to that idea of um, you know the the melt no, not melting pot the the crucible of the the dense inner city living as a as a as a focus for uh, creative pursuits so that that fascinated me Sarah's paper was about um, Sarah's paper is was was really great and she she was talking about she was doing her Sarah being your sister Elizabeth I suppose yeah. that listeners might not uh, necessarily know that immediately yeah. um, she talked about two bands in the in Melbourne in the late 70s early 80s the ears and in excess and the you know the I know that the the reason that she put that she did that study was that she's been asked to contribute a chapter to a book that I'm co-editing about the film Dogs in Space and uh, she was very cleverly this would not have occurred to me but as she makes a very good point that the the um, Michael Hutchins as the singer of In Excess who plays Sam Sajavka the singer of the ears in the film Dogs in Space uh, those two bands were kind of you know doing roughly the same circuit at the same time it hadn't really occurred to me uh, before I thought of In Excess as always being you know um, many echelons higher than the ears and in one sense they were because they were much more professional and much less prone to um, you know taking heroin every day but nevertheless the um, you know there, w- there was a lot of crossover which hadn't occurred to me and and she you know she had generated a bunch of maps and uh, she had done a whole lot of uh, research that um, you know put those two together in the same place at the same time is really interesting um, the other person whose name was John, but I can't remember his second name. Sorry, John, but you'll probably never hear this. Uh, talked about PBS mm-hmm. in the um, in the early 80s, and so three PBS in Melbourne, the Melbourne radio station, and its uh, its proximity to and use of the Prince of Wales band room in the um, in the early 80s uh, as a kind of a, a live venue and a live to air venue. And he talked about the Prince of Wales Hotel itself in um, Fitzroy Street St Kilda and uh, yeah really a really informative and excellent uh, presentation I can't wait to read uh, the, the, the finished um, you know the, the published paper version of that. So John Tebbett was the presenter of the PBS? Yeah paper. he was terrific. He was was he involved in PBS? Is that part of his interest or did uh, he just research I don't know, he didn't say. Right. I think so in some way but, yeah. uh, but he was certainly very uh, he knew a lot of the people that were involved early on I bumped into um, John and another radio researcher, Chris Wilson, after, after that session, and they seemed to be getting along very well. So Chris Wilson didn't present on radio at this conference. He presented actually on public Wi-Fi in okay. Goulburn, yeah. cool. <laughs> including a picture of this. You know that Goulburn has that giant merino sheep? Yeah. Um, yeah. That thing it's got, got a tower on it now. It's called Rambo. His yeah. name is Rambo, and he got moved because the highway bypassed Goulburn, oh. so they moved Rambo onto the highway. Uh, no, he doesn't. Um, that would be the natural conclusion. But, but yes, they have public Wi-Fi in Goulburn. Anyway, Chris did a lot of research on public radio generally in, in Australia, including the, that process where they provide a lot more licensing opportunities and things like that. So everyone, I think, from that music session seemed to have a lot to talk about, which is good. Too much. That's the problem. <laughs> it's it's so funny. Like it's it's actually I think really really good. Just like I my 
personal opinion is that every every researcher should teach. My personal opinion is that you know everybody everybody bitches about um, their being constrained. Like, oh, we've only got fifteen minutes to talk, and a lot of people. No judgment. It's just it's just how it, how it happens, but and it happens to me many times. But you know, a lot of people run out of time uh, when they you know they're still going on their introduction, and then it's like two minutes left, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I've got to you know, how am I going to do this? Um, but you know, I think that it's a really great practical uh, focusing instrument to have that those kinds of constraints. You can always say, you know, I haven't covered this. Ask me about it later. That's yeah, a good exactly. Or you, you go to the published paper. Yeah, which most true. people are, are, you know, have sent in. I know a couple of people didn't, mm. um, haven't provided a published paper, which I think is a shame. But most some of them, um, some people were only wanting to do a presentation. So we did. I mean, the the, the vibe is that you're encouraged mm. strongly to put in a paper, but if you just want to present and not, then. Well, I think that's fine. Yeah, that's right. I mean, from our from our point of view as academics, uh, it sort of doesn't count if you don't get a, a publication out of it. Yeah. But there were a few people there from, not a great number, but a few people from sort of consultancy. That's right. Groups, so nothing don't No, I'm just trying to remember how it came together, but I saw a really good session about Kodak. Uh, yeah, I missed that one. That, like the, the, the company and mm-hmm. its, uh, its Abbotsford premises and its move to Coburg, yeah. which was, I've seen a version of that paper at the Australian Historical Association in 2016, mm-hmm. but this was, this was uh, differently kind of um, calibrated and uh, I just find that a fascinating story. Um, I went to... There were a couple of um, sessions based on an ARC project about the uh, university campuses in Australia. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not interested enough to go to all of them, but I did go to one, which which I did learn a lot at. Yeah. So one thing I learned was um, where Macquarie University is, because it's always been a struggle for me to figure out... Marsfield. Somewhere out in the yeah. suburbs of Sydney, but now it's more concretely pinpointed in the northwest yeah, suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the paper I went to on the... Postbook was well Australian campuses was Cameron Logan and someone else and they talked about they compared La Trobe University and Macquarie University as two universities post-war and how they picked the sites and how they managed this whole process of being in a suburban location and of course some of these suburban locations came up a few times that they were I guess they're not fashion is that fair to say that a lot of the universities now are kind of looking at their city campuses or if they don't have them making them yeah. as part of this effort to attract, I guess, international students and the student experience. Yes. So Latrobe out in, in the suburbs, is, I guess it's not something that's promoted to students now, but it was a pretty interesting story. It was on Crown Land, I didn't know that. Mm, mm. And that whole campus, sorry to interrupt you, mm. that whole campus uh, project is so fascinating and I had the, the good fortune uh, to talk to Christine Garno from the University mm-hmm. of South Australia about uh, her, what she's doing in that project and it just like every bit of it just sounds so um, amazingly extraordinary there's so many so many stories that come out and I suppose I don't know about you but I feel like I'm a little bit immersed in the the this the university campus story in the sense that I um, you know I've seen a lot of these places and I've you know have a an interest in in 
the 1960s and 70s and, and urban development and how these things come together and the kind of the class aspect, I suppose, of, you know, this is the, to a certain degree, places like La Trobe, I don't know if, I imagine that uh, Macquarie fits into this as well, uh, a little bit like the, um, you know, the post-war migrants reward. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you came and you, you worked in manufacturing <coughs> for... Um, 20-something years, but um, your children are going to have this like, amazing future. Well, I know my husband went to La Trobe and his parents are immigrants, so I guess not. Um, we have evidence right before us, Elizabeth. <laughs> He's standing right in front of us, coughing. <coughs> He's in half the cough. Oh, is, oh. Were you just trying to draw attention to yourself? Is that <laughs> you're saying, no, I am, actually. I <laughs> tickle in my throat that whole 10 minutes there. Okay. <laughs> so I only got a little... Uh, a small sample of that whole project, so it'll be yeah. interesting to see yeah. more. Are they planning a book or something yeah, at the end? Yeah, there's a book coming yeah, out of it, yeah, yeah. Hannah um, Louie's involved with that, I don't know, Hannah uh, and, um, yeah. and Christine are doing a work together on that. Mm. I saw heaps of interesting papers, but I don't think you have time. I'll just go through my notes here, and then I'd like to talk about the panel at the end. Mm, mm. Other ones I wrote down here, Modern Jewish Melbourne, that Catherine Townsend presented. She was a guest on, this must be the place one. Saw some work on the Sirius building. Um, that was great, yeah. Yep. Uh, the border, the failed border expansion of the ACT in the 1970s, that was in one oh, of the sessions I was I in. I didn't that. know that existed. Arun talked about a um, proposal for Marab, um, Essendon Airport uh, in the 70s. Reg Ansett was trying to turn it into a, a big shopping yeah. mega centre. Yeah. My, my former PhD student, Arun mm -hmm. Chandu. James Lesh talked about arcades, which I quite enjoyed. Um, my, co my collaborator on another paper, James. Any other ones you'd like to just single out papers no. no okay so the urban history planning history conference of remaking cities finished with a panel with three people speaking about or giving their thoughts on the future of urban and planning history research in australia it was uh, Seamus O'Hanlon from Monash university lauren pico who recently finished her phd at melbourne university and kate Hollington from the Public Records Office of Victoria, and you were chairing that session, David. Mm. I, I was chairing it, and I, I assembled those um, those people for that session. Uh, and you know, diverse. I think that uh, you know, in a way, everybody you know, everybody talked beforehand by email at least uh, to get some some themes across. But uh, when it came down to it, I, I felt like uh, now Lauren came second, didn't she? And mm -hmm. I mean, Lauren is, um, I think there's probably something really wrong about describing someone as feisty, but, uh, <laughs> but let's just say that she knows where feisty lives and, and sometimes visits feisty. Uh, Lauren also, I mean, she's in that, you know, it's horrible. It was horrible enough when, uh, when I was in that limbo between completing PhD and getting a job. And she's just completed a PhD. She did stunningly well, and she's, you know, nevertheless, she a has to, you know, just rely on, I suppose, piecemeal work. So this is part of what she was saying yeah, in a way. Yeah, so she, she wasn't talking in the abstract. She was talking about the, the participation, the future yeah. as in people, and the opportunities to participate in a casualised university system. That's right. And she's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that in the long term, she's she's going to do really, really well. And in in the short term, she has done really really well. I mean, she was she was being contacted about her her PhD work, which is on uh, Milton Keynes. We should have her on the on the show sometime. Mm. Um, which was on uh, Milton Keynes and British declinism. She was being she was being courted as a uh, by publishers, you know, probably 
18 months into her project. Mm. I mean, she's, you know, real, um, you know, very excited for, for the kind of things that she's going to come up with, and she's, uh, she's brilliant. But, yeah, so some of the things... But one of her points was that, in a sense, people like her who are... Not that she'd say this, but I'll say it, you know, the, the best and brightest of our uh, uh, students who are coming out, you know, postgrads who are coming out of our uh, often quite excellent programs are in, in many ways unable to participate in things like the UHPH because it costs too much money. Yeah, just a practical consideration then, it's a few hundred dollars. Yeah. And it's not something that um, someone who's not on a you know, waged or fully yeah, waged yeah. can really justify. That's right. And, and it's a pity because it is, they're often the people that have the new ideas and things like that. It's just much easier to attend if you, if someone else pays for it. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I really think that in a way, like, as I said, you know, and I, I, it's a plus in one sense that, um, there were people at UHPH the other week who I first met 22 years ago or whatever. The downside of that is, you know, that same old faces kind of thing. Like, where are the new faces? I mean, we did have, there were quite a few people who were, you know, young-ish or new contributors, and there, there is always that element in the mix, um, whether they're, you know, people who are joining the, the conference stream mm. or people who are um, just sort of coming in and adding, adding colour uh, as a one-off. But, um, yeah, certainly I think we need to worry about that going forward and Seamus you know who is I mean my age or, or older so he's in his in his 50s and, a, and an eminent scholar but he picked picked up on that mm-hmm. aspect and yeah. he he went with that a little a little way further and uh, you know with a, to a lot of advantage I thought what what else did you take from that well one of the things that Lauren brought up also was um, you know it's urban history planning history but she thought that pretty much every session she went to people would apologize for being there that I'm not a real historian but I'm not I'm just this I'm just that so that kind of uh, process of defining a, a discipline or a conference mm. boundary um, I guess she was sort of in, uh, implying that maybe there's no benefit to having a hard boundary I would kind of think well you have to have some kind of name otherwise it would just be the conference yeah but it was an important point about I agreed that many people there were from a different uh, background and they did tend to apologise for not being a capital H historian, so that was definitely true. And to, to mention the other presenter, and uh, Kate from Public Records Office, this is, I guess, not quite a segue to the uh, casualisation and um, conference uh, theme kind of discussion, but... Uh, the Public Records Office and also uh, the speakers about State Library Victoria and uh, Trove. One of these themes was just how much um, change is happening in the, in libraries and oh no, sorry, <laughs> the digitisation and. Um, that was, was that your phone? Or yes, was that just... it was. <laughs> okay. All right, good. Yeah, um, you know, really uh, rapid change in how resource, historical resources oh, yeah. are made available and organised and how people can access them and use them in their research and that, I used to think of those kind of talks as like, because you hear a lot of oh, the, the digital future will be whiz bang and it's, it's just like a shit version of 
a version that doesn't work. But some of these things, like I'm addicted to Trove, and to think of it actually getting better, and public records office as well, um, is quite... I thought it was quite exciting. Overwhelming as well, because I don't know yeah. if I'll ever have time to use these things. That's right. But Look, that's a rabbit hole that we probably don't want to go down mm. right now, but... Um, and, it, and it's also bleeding obvious, but when I started my PhD in 96, there was certainly no trove, mm. um, and there was very, very little possibility of digital newspaper research, and a lot of my PhD was about newspaper research, so I was trawling, mm. and it was very, very time-consuming. It was quite exciting, and I imagine that in a way I wouldn't have found the things that I found, that I did find and did use, if I'd used a search, a search engine. Yeah. And so there was a lot of, you know, a lot of things that sort of peripheral things that, that came up that became important as I was doing that work. So, um, you know, I mean, in a way, it's, you know, this is this is an observation, as, as I say, it's a bleeding obvious observation. But you know, is it better? It might be better, but it's it's uh, certainly different. That would be my conclusion as well. It's different, and there's trade-offs from making things structured and accessible because you don't get the context, etc. But then you can make all these other connections that previously would have been... Whereas I, I can see that um, if you have a really focused topic and um, the difference between going to a physical archive and um, searching something like Trove, you probably are better off doing it physically because you might get more out of it or concentrate and get more depth. Mm -hmm. Some projects just wouldn't fi would literally be impossible without um, the digital connections or searchability. So there's some projects that will, will be you know, coming on that, that we that's wouldn't right. have seen before. So, that's so it's the, the nature side. of the projects is mm. going to change. I mean, my, you know, I've, on this program before, I've, I've done stuff on my C.J. DeGarris, you know, biography thing. The Mildura, uh, sorry, the Sun Razor Daily, which was the newspaper he started in 1919, is not presently digitised. Mm -hmm. I need it. You know, I need to, to examine it and its predecessor very, very closely, um, which means sitting in front of the... Um, the uh, what do you call it, the micro, microfilm machine, just mm -hmm. going from page to page. But, you know, when you do that, even though it's much more time-consuming and, you know, you really feel like you're starting to, you know, become one with the chair and just, you know, you're just going to end up uh, totally bolted on, you know, like um, mould growing around you. Um, it's... Uh, it's a really valuable thing to, to do, I think, as well, because so many other things and so much, so much other context mm. comes forth. But do you, I'm trying to think of an example of the ones where, that really benefit from search searchability or structure hierarchy. It would be even something like Victoria's work on the quarries. If you've got a fairly obscure topic spread across many sources and, and time periods, yeah. there's still benefit from the physical archives, definitely, but you'll find things a lot uh, quicker or much more possible to find things through digital but right. we're going down a rabbit hole aren't we yeah should, rabbit hole should we uh, wrap up um, that's yeah. our you I, I'll throw to you again David as someone who's attended 11 of the 14 urban history planning history conferences yeah how did this one compare uh, top 25 percent <laughs> that's ARC's <laughs> the um, yeah I mean they, look they're really they are diverse they the, the conference doesn't have you know, an organising committee that might change. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have an organising committee, and it's it's coped really well as a you know. There's a couple of times that it, it nearly died um, because it just gets passed from institution to institution. Uh, there was one infamous moment where you know it was so badly run uh, that it it almost 
just sort of didn't happen one year. <laughs> and uh, there have been other instances where it's it is actually it's tiny, you know, mm. it, because mainly because it's in uh, obscure places or mm-hmm. difficult to f- difficult to get to places. I won't say obscure. So, for instance, the Perth one mm-hmm. was um, there were not that many attendees, mm-hmm. uh, and as an Australasian conference, of course, there's the New Zealanders have to come and the um, people on the Eastern Seaboard have to come and Perth totally deserved deserved and it was a great conference and it deserves to have that um, to, to be a venue uh, sometimes but nevertheless it's you know it twice as much to get there mm-hmm. from anybody on the Eastern Seaboard and probably more even more if you're from New Zealand mm-hmm. so there's that and um, so that's I guess that's what I'm saying it's not really a that's not if you think that quantity is quality you know then um, you know when they when they happen in Melbourne or Sydney they're um, they're quite you know they're bigger and they're in some ways you feel like uh, there's more um, they're more impactful mm-hmm. that that might be an illusion anyway um, I thought that in this case the you know the tone was was really good I felt like there was you know despite those those criticisms that we were outlining earlier um, I did think that there were a lot of new voices in this in this one and um, it was hard for me because I and probably for you too because you were absolutely an organizer I was you know sort of a semi organizer I, I organized in mm. some way and I cha- and you get, chaired you get things and so, like the chairing. Yeah. yeah so you know I, I felt like I was more uh, you know more facilitating than experiencing mm. um, but you know but people that I spoke to who hadn't been before were very positive. Oh, that's great. So that, which I think is, that's a good you know, measure, and the food was really good. Yeah. And the, the, the plenary speak, all those, those mm-hmm. guest speakers were terrific. And I thought, I was, thought that the venue went fairly great well. Venue. So we great used venue. the old magistrate's courts yeah. and, and things at RMIT, which we did, and the jail and so on. Yeah. So that, that's it for um, Urban History, UHPH, for this year. The next one will be in two years. Neither of us will be all on the organising committee. But it will be held in Launceston. Where that's, that's yeah, we 99% heard. certain. Okay, yeah. so not officially yet, but yeah. there was an announcement at the end that it will probably be in Launceston. Yeah. That's it. Is it yeah. University of Tasmania, Launceston mm-hmm. campus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where the architecture is. I immediately practice. looked up uh, swimming pool in Launceston because I heard they had a really big swimming pool there at yeah. the gorge. So um, It's amazing, and you go over it on a chairlift. That sounds pretty good. And you can jump off the chairlift into the water if you want to commit suicide (laughs) (laughs) I was ready to believe you and I thought no that just doesn't sound quite right Um, don't do that only under supervised conditions (laughs) if you're an expert alright great and thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place